0: So I want us to start out with a classic question, okay? Do you want the good news or the bad news first? Okay? So I wanted you to take a moment, and I know some of you are configured a little bit differently with your seating, so if, if you need to, you can lean over to maybe people who are already in a group and lean in. But I want you to share with somebody nearby your own preference. Do you want to hear the good news first or the bad news first? So lean over to somebody nearby and... Now, to be fair, I should give you a third category which my beloved wife is in, she doesn't like the the question to be asked at all. So you can pick that question, and you can have that third choice. Good news, bad news, or please don't ask me. Okay. Okay. Well, actually there was a study done on this, I'm sure you're not surprised, by the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin. And what we learned from the study is most people with good news and bad news to share, prefer to share the good news first. Researchers call it the priming emotion protection. Most recipients of good and bad news prefer to hear the bad news first because it only reduces the worry factor for them. If I know the bad news is coming, I'll dwell on that, and I'll be more or less likely to seriously pay attention to the good news. Perhaps that's why some of us prefer stories with good endings. Again, as the receiver around, most people, around 78% wanted to hear the bad news first, followed by the good news because they believed that would make them feel better if they got the bad news out of the way and ended on a good note. People delivering the news, though, were split. Those who imagined what a recipient would want to hear tended to want to give the bad news first. Those who focused on how they would feel sharing the news wanted to give the good news first because they felt it would be easier to start with the good news. So now I'm going to ask you to answer the question a second time. This time I want you to know this time when I it's not so much do you want the good news or the bad news but if you're giving the news which one do you want to do first and if you're receiving the news which one do you want to do first so I'll give you a little more time this time So if you're giving what do you prefer and if you're receiving back in your in your friends there <laughs> If you're the giver do you want to give good or bad if you're the receiver <laughs> So today, as Pastor Brian mentioned, we're basically talking about the gospel, which is also synonymous with the good news. And that's what I really want to do. I want to take to share with you about how to share both good news and bad news. And I'm going to be encouraging you how to equipping us to be messengers, what I would consider the greatest news of all. We're in a sermon series from the book of Isaiah entitled, The God We Can Trust. Last week, Pastor Brian shared with us from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 7 how we have a hunger to see justice in the world. And he talked about that driving incident, remember? And he was very excited when the person got pulled over. He focused our attention on how Jesus establishes justice, right? How the Bible teaches us about justice, but more importantly, how a changed life enables justice. And that's what we talk about, a place where God transforms lives. When he transforms our lives, we can be agents of justice. Now this week, in chapter, we're going to turn a whole 10 chapters forward and go to chapter 52. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12, and we're going to see the good news message that God sent with Isaiah to the group of the Jews who are in captivity, as well as a message about good news that applies to us. Now, but next week, I want you to get very excited. Pastor Brian's going to be preaching. We're going to just, the remainder of this chapter, chapter 52, 12 to the end, plus chapter 53 about Isaiah's prophecy regarding Jesus being the one who was pierced for our transgressions. So you see, today we're going to talk about the good news of Jesus. Pastor Brian's going to get us excited about Jesus being pierced from our transgressions. And then, as we mentioned, the Easter Sunday, as Brian mentioned, the Super Bowl crescendo. uh, So don't miss out on that. But today, if you would turn with your Bibles or open up your Bible app with me to Isaiah chapter 52, we're going to start in verses 7 through 12, and I'm going to read those out loud. Starting in verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings who proclaims salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come from out, come out from it, and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through these six verses, a verse at a time. We're going to see kind of what they mean, and then at the end, look at a few ways that we can apply them to our lives. Starting in verse seven, we see how Isaiah is prophesying how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. These beautiful feet don't really refer to the appearance of feet. In fact, many of us know how we feel about our feet. Um, It's one of the things we cover most of the time. Nor is it referring actually to the appearance of the person altogether. That person, what it's referring to is what that person is doing. That is, they're bringing of the good news through their feet. They're moving forward. They're carrying that good news. Seeing a messenger on a distant mountain dashing closer and closer with long-expected good news is what's beautiful to see. As the feet are approaching, there's a beautiful sense of anticipation of what they're going to learn. In a similar way, this is the time of year. Many of you who are in school might remember, or those of us who, who went to high school, remember this was the time of year where you're waiting back from colleges to hear what they're going to say. Am I going to get in? Am I not going to get in? About their acceptance, they didn't have to make a decision. You're waiting for that email to come in, or back in my day, a letter would come in the mail. Okay. Also in our day and age, it's not so much the color of the brown UPS truck, Or the smiling logo of the Amazon Prime vehicle, but it's what they're delivering to us. This thing that we've waited for. And what these messengers are bringing is really what's beautiful. What is this good news that Isaiah is referring to here in this passage? We see from this verse how the good news that they are bringing is one of peace, salvation, and God's rule. Isaiah is first sharing the good news to the Jews in that day who were in captivity in Babylon. They were banished in their country, from their country, deprived of the opportunity to worship God. As they'd been instructed, they were oppressed by an army that took over their country. Sad irony that this has to some of our current events that we see here today. An army taking over someone else's country and holding those people captive. So just to get a sense of how good this good news must have felt for them in that day that something was going to happen and change their condition, there's actually a psalm that was written at that time in Psalm 137. I'm going to read the first couple of verses just to give you a sense of what the Israelites were feeling at that time. In Psalm 137, we read at the beginning, by the rivers of Babylon, which is where they were, we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. Zion is their home. There on, on the poplar, we hung our harps, for there our captors asked for our songs. Our tremendous demanded songs of joy. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But we said, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're in a foreign land? So the sentiment this psalm gives us is how the Jews were feeling at that time when Isaiah is going to give them that message. They were so sad they couldn't sing anymore. Have you ever felt that way? They can't even sing? You're so downtrodden that you couldn't sing anymore? You know, singing allows us to experience those endorphins, those feel-good hormones God designed for our bodies to experience when we sing. The Israelites were too sad to sing, and they were not even able to concentrate on anything else other than the things that they were experiencing in captivity, the things that made them feel so sad. Isaiah's prophecy was the first good news to them, to those who were too sad to sing. He said, deliverance is coming. You're no longer going to be in captivity. That's good news. And those of us, we are in a similar world, where those of us, we were in spiritual captivity, from which Jesus, the Son of God, came to deliver us as well. It's said that a broken heart sits in every row of seats, If we're honest, we'd probably confess that every one of us in each chair here to some degree feels bruised, broken, discouraged, weary, and just worn out at times. Maybe even today you were too sad to sing the songs that Max was leading us and and Sue. Perhaps you needed just to be present and listen to the lyrics and let them encircle you and give you a renewed sense of hope and healing. May the words of the song that we sang and our voices singing them with you be a source of comfort and courage for you today. Maybe you have a sense of how these Israelites were feeling. But the exciting thing, it wasn't just for the Israelites, for their captivity. There's a secondary and more important meeting of Isaiah's prophecy that's far more glorious, far more extensive than the first thing he was saying. It's the one of the good news of salvation for all of us. Just as the Israelites celebrated the good news of their deliverance from their enemies, today we too can rejoice in the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ. We're set free from our captivity of sin. And through this good news, we're released from the bondage that sin had on us and we are restored. We are made right again with God. We're reconciled to him. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. And Isaiah talked about that same peace in his verse. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And the Israelites had that same, Isaiah was telling them to have that same hope, that God reigns. And verse 7 ends with this declaration of your God reigns. Here, Isaiah is recalling back to a time, if you remember, the Israelites were in captivity before. They were in Egypt. And at that time, Moses led them out to cross the sea on the dry land. And in Exodus 15, 17 through 19, he says, you will bring them in, plant them on a mountain of your inheritance, the place the Lord has made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. And then here he says, the Lord reigns forever and ever. Then he ends with, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them, but the Israelites walked on the sea, or through the sea on dry ground. So Isaiah is reminding the Israelites, just as God delivered you out of Egypt, he's going to deliver you out of Babylon. And in fact, the same phrase was used in Psalm 93.1 where it says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. And the world is established firm and secure. So this phrase, our God reigns, is one that has been used since really the beginning, back with Abraham, then to Moses, and then here in this area to inspire confidence in God at all ages and in all times of danger. So Isaiah continues in verse 8. He says, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. So this is some poetic language here. Where the watchmen are the ones who are standing off, looking in the distance to see if somebody is on the way. They can see just above the horizon of the mountains to be able to see somebody who would come over the cusp of it. Now, what, what this reminds me of is my family had the opportunity to go to Maui, and in Maui we got to a place called Haleakala National Park, which is Maui's highest peak, rising over 11, 10,000 feet above sea level. And Haleakala actually means the house of the sun. And what we were waiting for is for the sun to rise. And here's a picture of that glorious sunrise. Sunrise at the summit of Haleakala has been a visitor attraction since the late 1800s. We got to experience this incredible daybreak from the top of the peak. We traveled to the top of this massive volcano to witness this orange-colored dawn of a new day amidst the clouds enjoying the sublime natural beauty. So the same way these watchmen that Isaiah is talking about, they were waiting for that messenger to come over the hill. We were waiting for God to bring his son out in the sunrise in, in Hawaii. How much more were the Israelites waiting for their release from this Babylonian captivity? This good news that they wanted was much more than just a sunrise. It was a release from bondage and captivity. The first people to see the messenger would be this watchman looking over the surrounding countryside they would be on watch for the approaching enemies, but they would be delighted to see a messenger bearing good news. They would see the messenger at a distance, but they would look at him and try to say, okay, what is, what is it that he's doing? He's supposed to give them a gesture of what's happening. And in this case, it's unclear what kind of gesture they gave, but apparently the messengers gave some sort of gesture that meant there's going to be victory. We're going to be released. Perhaps he thrust his fist into the air some way. So I want you to think about in your life, What are the ways that, when you have good news to share, what are the ways that you share gestures? What gestures do you use? Share with somebody nearby. What gestures do you use to to share good news? (laughs) So what I can tell you is gestures are an interesting thing. So this, this sentinel was on the lookout for the messenger. The messenger was going to give a sense, but we have to be careful with gestures, okay? The okay sign here is great in the United States, Canada, the UK. However, in Brazil, if you do this and you turn it upside down, it's very similar to demonstrating your middle finger, okay? The cross finger sign, the one at the bottom, we use that in the United States here. Canada, the UK, and Australia as a sign for good luck. However, if you do that in Vietnam, it's considered a lewd gesture. And lastly, our thumbs up there, which many of you were doing, is very good in the U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, and even Russia as a sign of approval. However, in Latin America, West Africa, Iran, Iraq, and Afghanistan, if you do this, this has a connotation of kind of up yours. <laughs> so it reminds me, when I was living in Turkey, I had the opportunity to um, have a job at a company, a national company there. When I was there, I got very excited one day. It was Something was going really well with a project we were doing, so I went like this. And uh, the owner of the company took me aside and said, please don't ever do that again. It's a very rude gesture. So the reason I share these things about gestures is is that there was no lack of clarity of what the sentinel saw. The sentinel saw victory, deliverance. We're going to be out. We're done. We're going to be released. We're going to be free. There There was no wondering what was happening. They knew the messenger's news they were bringing was good news, the one that they had been waiting for and watching. Isaiah continues in verse 9. He says, Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. So we see first in verse 7, the messenger signals the news is good. Verse 8, the sentinel sees that the news is good and starts to celebrate. Now in verse 9, Isaiah calls the ruins or the waste places in Jerusalem to join in joyful song. Now again, here what the concept is is jubilant, shouting for joy. Now, obviously, we're not going to have this sense of just this ruins, okay? This is really kind of, again, poetry that he's using, but he's calling back, if you remember, some ruins that the Israelites may have remembered. It goes back to Joshua chapter 6, when Joshua commanded the Israelite army in verse 16 to say, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are devoted to the Lord. Then in verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the what? What happened to the walls? They collapsed into ruins. And those ruins declared the victory of the Lord. In fact, Jesus used similar language, this poetic language, in Luke 19.40 on a Palm Sunday when the Pharisees came up to him and insisted his disciples stop praising him. He told them, I tell you, if these people keep quiet, what, the stones will cry out. Stones, collapsed walls, in this case, ruins of Jerusalem. These are all imagery to say, Nothing can stop God's good news from going out. If it doesn't come out from people, it will come out from creation. It will come out from anything. That imagery is powerful. He wanted them to have a joyful shout. Isaiah reminds them that the Lord consoles and protects them. So it's not only that he gives them victory, but he understands what they've been through. He understands that the victory has, has come with a cost. And we see the same thing in Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, where he says, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good, his love towards Israel endorsed forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Isaiah continues in verse 10, saying the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of the nation, all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Now this expression of sharing your, your bare arm is actually a Hebrew idiom. That means to kind of roll up these three you start some work, long work. The arm was bare. This was a symbol of a mighty undertaking or initiative. It served to warn those who would oppress God's purposes. God was not going to be defeated. He was not going to be daunted. His holy purposes is that his people would be able to worship him again in the place that he designed for them. He wanted them to observe his laws faithfully. He wanted them to establish justice, as Pastor Brian mentioned last week. He also wanted to make sure that they provided for those in need. He wanted to afford them that opportunity. And when it says that all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, Isaiah is declaring that this salvation that God offers was not going to be limited to Israel or Judah, but involved everyone. If you go back to Genesis, or even the promise of Abraham, he was just giving a reminder of that. And the Lord demonstrates his holy power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth are going to see this victory. So in verses 8 through 10, we saw the good news caused the watchmen to shout for joy. We saw how it turned the ruins of Jerusalem to burst into songs of joy. And then here in verse 10, we saw that all the nations, all the ends of the earth, are going to praise God for the salvation that he gives. Now we come to verse 11, and it, this is, has a little bit of a turn to it. Verse 11, he says, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, come out of it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord. So not only was God going to release them from captivity, but on the way out, he wanted to give them some instructions on how to live. These are the words that they longed to hear, they were going to be free, so the depart part was really exciting. Great, We're out. Pass on, get out, leave that place. But he said, be careful. When you come out, be pure, because you're going to be carrying the, the, the articles of the Lord. He's directing them not just to leave things there, but to purify themselves, and also to purify these objects that were sacred to the Lord. Really what he's explaining is God is holy, and he expects us to be holy. They are to purify themselves so they will be fit for the task of head, the task of carrying the temple back from Babylonia to Jerusalem. Isaiah wasn't just telling them to depart from Babylonia, but also leave some of the simple ways that maybe they had acquired while they were living there. Paul reminds us of a similar way for us living in this day and age. He says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, there's that word again, and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed, as we often say, by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. There's good again, good news. It's important for us to be free from the outside sources forces that imprison us, but even more important for us to be free from the forces that prevent us from achieving that freedom. Isaiah wraps up our section here in verse 12. He says, But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now remember when we talked about the the departing from the Israelites, the Egypt, they had to do that in, in haste as they were threatened by these pursuing soldiers. Here, Isaiah is saying, look, when your departure from Babylonia comes, it's going to be unhurried because you're going to be safe from any threat. Cyrus of Persia will allow them to depart under the protection of his imperial decree and even provide funds for them to go back and restore the Jerusalem and the temple. But it's not Cyrus who's the ultimate guarantor of their freedom. It's God. He is the one who will go before them. He will scout the way. He will protect them, both in front of them, to the side, and he says, from behind. It says that he will be their rear guard and defend them. Why? So they can feel safe from all their enemies. So how do we apply these verses that we learned here in Isaiah to our lives? I said I'll be sharing about the good news with you and also sharing some bad news. We know that many things in life have both good and bad news associated with them, and the entire truth of God's word is a combination of both emphasizing one side to the exclusion of the other, I would not be giving you the whole truth. The same is true of the gospel of Christ. For those of, us who not, for those of you who are here today who haven't repented and started to follow Christ, we have some bad news and good news for you here today. We mentioned at the onset how when we're receiving, on the receiving end, we prefer to receive the bad news first. So I'm going to start with the bad news. Bad news is that we're all sinners. And all of us, like Romans 3.23 says, have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Sin just means we've missed the mark with the things that we've thought, the things that we've said, the things that we've done didn't make God's standard. When the Bible says all have sinned and fall short, it means that we all have come short of the standard of perfection. Continuing with this bad news, let's keep going with the bad news. Romans 6.23 says the penalty for our sin is death. The Bible says by sinning we've earned death. That means you and I deserve to die and to be separated from God forever. Now on to the good news. Since there was no way that we could come to God on our own merits, the Bible says what? That God came to us instead. Romans 5 eight tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still doing those things, Christ died for us. The Bible says Christ took the penalty that we deserved for our sin, placed it on himself, and died in our place. Three days later, he came back to life to prove that sin and death had been conquered, and his claims about God were true. The good news is that we're able to be saved through placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 tells us, for it is by grace, this undeserved favor, that we have been saved. We've been delivered from that penalty of sin through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. You must trust in Jesus alone, and God will give you this eternal gift of life. Our prayer is, if you've never done that, may today be the first day that you do. Now, for those of us who have repented and started following Christ, what do these verses mean for us? I shared at the beginning how it would be encouraging us how we could be equipped to be messengers of this greatest news of all. When Isaiah mentioned our passages about sharing the good news, the verb he used was for someone who was cheerfully announcing glad news and actually this verb sometimes was used to talk about the message of a birth of a child. What better news is that? When we recently became grandparents, I wanted to tell everyone I met about the birth of my beautiful granddaughter Lily what time she was born, how much she weighed, whatever she's doing, right? I couldn't stop talking about her, right? That's the feeling I had that came from God. And he has the same feeling about us in our passage here in Isaiah, but just at a grander scale. Think about what he did in Luke chapter two. He sent angels to shepherds as bearers of good news and announced to them in a joyful chorus about the birth of the one that he sent who would save us from our sins. Luke two, 10 through 14, we read, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you what? Good news right? That will cause you what? Great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And he doesn't stop there, right? Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, what? Isaiah talked about this. Peace on whom his favor rests. When we're encouraged to be messengers of this good news, we're directed to be like the ones telling good, these good things, specifically these good tidings that the angels told. The good tidings about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, what I want, I want to do is just I want us to finish here with just looking back, looking around, and looking forward. So, let's start by looking back. I want you to look back to a period of time where you first, where there's a person or persons that God used in your life to share the good news with you. Who was that person? Okay? Nearly 1,000 years ago, after Isaiah prophesied the words, Paul described a similar messenger proclaiming the good news of peace, salvation in in Jesus Christ in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. He said, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I want you to take a moment and thank God for that person or persons who brought the good news and the bad news to you in your faith journey. These are people who understood the good news and understood that the good news is not for us to be kept, but to you be shared with others. These were messengers God sent to you to reveal to you that you were missing the mark and how much God loved you by sending his son on the cross. So, I actually want to encourage you today to take a few minutes to send them an email, a text, or even a phone call to encourage them for how God used them in your spiritual journey. For me, it was two men. I want to show the picture of the first gentleman. His name is John Carricker. There he is with his wife, Jenny. John planted the seed of the good news in my heart. God used him. John and I are still connected, and he and Jenny are still reaching students and faculty in the city of Indianapolis. The next person I want to introduce you is Dan Young. Pastor Dan Young. He warded the seed of good news in my life. Dan and I are still connected. My father passed away recently. Dan even performed the gravesite ceremony for our family. These men poured into me. They brought me to faith, they helped me get rooted in the faith, and now that I look back, I just am grateful for how they used them as instruments in my life. Who are those people in your life who has God used in your life? Why don't you take a minute and share with somebody nearby that person's name. People nearby, somebody's name, a name of somebody. Or another person. Hmm. good to remember. It's good to remember. Now that we've looked back, I want you to look around. When I say look around, I want you to look around not only here in our community of faith, but I want you to look around in your own life to see those people that God is using you as an instrument in their life right now. Paul encourages us in 2 Timothy 2.21, he describes it, those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. That's what life is all about. God equips us through his word, through prayer, through our life experiences as we trust in him. They're all part of his necessary preparation. Why? So that way, just like we said before, to understand that there's a very special place in my heart for those people that we want to not just receive God's word and receive God's love, but be able to share it with others. We saw in our passions that God will set us apart and make us fit for his use then he will begin to give us the privilege of being used in the lives of others. And that's really what life's all about. To allow God to use you as an instrument in somebody's life to be touched. To touch them. What I want you to do is just think around in, in your life. Let me tell you a couple stories in my life that have happened. And I want you to think about people that God has been using you for the past couple of years in their lives. The first story I want to tell you is this guy named John Law. Students who are here, we have some students who are both in college and high school and middle school. God used me while I was a student to be able. John was actually a younger underclassman, and I was a senior at the time. And God used me to plant some seeds in His life and water them. And then John ended up being my best man in my way. And 32 years later, we're still connected. The next story is a fellow named Sally. So, while I was living overseas in Turkey, God allowed me to be as one who waters in Sally's life. Sally was in our home on a regular basis. And Phyllis and I did premarital counseling for he and his wife, Joyce, and we're still connected to them today as Sally ministers there. Last story is, I want to tell you about a man named Matt. So Matt walked right through that door, and Mark knows very well, because uh, Mark's father-in-law, Larry Glemser, invited Matt to join us here one Sunday. Walked right in, sat right around where I sat, where I sit now, and he went through the doors as he was a newcomer. He didn't know anything about God, didn't know anything about, but he was just, in a broken state, and Larry said, why don't you come to church? God allowed Phyllis and I to invite Matt into our home. He came over week over week. Phyllis made him home-cooked meals, and through those times, we began to talk about faith. God opened his eyes. He became, came to faith. He was baptized in our church, eventually married. He moved away and leaves his family in his own faith. Matt and I, his wife, Sue, and their daughter, Brooklyn, are still connected with our family to this day, as they are with Mark and Desiree and many of the, that whole crew. When the Holy Spirit uses you in the life of another person to be a channel of bringing this life-transforming message, you are beautiful. You have beautiful feet. You are beautiful in God's sight and the sight of those who receive the message from you. Again, we saw this in our passage. So take a moment and share with somebody nearby who is somebody that God has used you in their life over the past 5, 10, 15, 30 years. Share that with somebody nearby. Some of you like to tell longer stories than others, but maybe we just share their name, okay? <laughs> and where you know them from. And you have plenty of time maybe after the service before we pick up our kids to tell a little bit more. But what I wanted to do is in a similar way that you looked back and you were grateful for how God used somebody in your life. Again, these people that God has allowed you to be used in their life, I want to encourage you today to send them an email, a text, give them a phone call to encourage them to continue pressing on in their faith. I, I, call, I contacted Matt and John and, and, um, and asked them if it would be okay if I mentioned their names in my sermon today and it was just a, a prompting that I had to be able to do that and they said of course it's fine as long as they don't t- tell too much stories uh, and I promise not to because they could they could do the same back that's what happens when you get in each other's lives it gets a little messy um, you have to have a lot of grace with each other but what I want to do is just encourage you that this is how the, the body of Christ works okay people are brought into your life to speak to you and be an instrument in your life He gives you that opportunity to be in someone else's. Then what I want to do is I want us to look forward now. I want us to look ahead to see what God's still about to do in the people where you work, where you live, where you play. God has you in their lives at this time to be a bearer of this good news to them. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good deeds and for what? Not just to praise you. In fact, we know how uncomfortable and misunderstood we can be in that. Oh, you're such a good person. No, you don't understand. Why? To glorify your Father in heaven. To get to know my Father. Again, the Apostle encourages us, Paul, Apostle Paul encourages us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork, okay, created in Christ Jesus, why? To do good works, right, which God has prepared for advance for us to do. These good works are sharing the good news with those in our lives. So I want you to ask now, as we think about these question marks, I call them, who are those siblings, children, parents, other relatives, co-workers, neighbors, fellow parents of a child's team, a person at the gym? Who are those people where God is at work in their lives, drawing them into a restored relationship with him? And they're in your circle of influence, in your tangible kingdom, how you can be a neighbor. I want you to take a moment and think about them. And even mention them. We're not going to get into their stories, but take a moment now and mention one the, of the, the, their names to somebody sitting nearby you. Somebody that God is pointing on your heart right now as a reminder of somebody that He has you in, in, in that person's life at this time. So please share with somebody nearby. It can't be somebody sitting next to you, so just be careful here like this. That could be a little private. (laughs) Okay. So I want us to end with just two things, just to kind of bring it back. One is just this banner here. So notice it doesn't say a caring place where God uses you to transform other people's lives. Okay, that's not what he does, okay? You're an instrument, but it's very different. He is the one who does the transforming work, okay? You just inform people, encourage them, right? But he's the one who's going to work in their hearts because he's the one who sees their hearts. We don't see people's hearts. We see their actions, and sometimes it shows us what's happening in their heart, but we don't know. Only God knows what's happening in my heart and in each of our hearts. And I want to also encourage you to say we're not alone in this, in this journey. One of my favorite ver- section of verses we're going to put up here on the screen is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. Paul's talking, right? He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but Who? Who makes it grow? It's God. God is the one who makes it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. But only God. Only God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their labor. We are co-workers in God's service. You're God's field, God's building. God is the one who does all this stuff. That's not our it's not our job. We just happen to be going along for the ride. I've I've told this story a couple times, and it's a fun little one. I I sometimes have the picture of it. But think of it this way. You know, you're out with the—I I don't know if you've ever seen... There's a father, and he has a young boy. Maybe, I don't know, between three to five years of age. And at that point in time, they have these things called plastic lawnmowers. Have you ever seen a plastic lawnmower? So you see the little boy out there, okay? And what does he think he's doing? He thinks he's cutting the grass. He really does, okay? But we know the father's there with the lawnmower... Usually typically behind him, really doing the work. Okay? That's how it is here. We're pushing the plastic Walmart, okay? Okay, that's how it works. God makes us feel like we're part of the process, but He He's really the one working in people's hearts. He allows us to be part of it, to be alongside of Him in that journey, but that's how it works. We believe it is God who transforms people's lives. However, God does us allow to have the privilege to play a part in what He's doing. May God help us do so. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as Paul said in Romans 1.16, we are not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Please reveal yourself to those here today who are not yet following you. For those of us who are following you, Lord, please help us to be grateful to those who have shared the good news with us. Please help us to see how you have used us as instruments in your hand to date. Please continue to grant us the courage to continue to share the good news with those in our lives. May we follow your lead in every part of our journey of this life. In this May may we walk with you, Lord Jesus, into eternal life. In your name, amen.